Welcome back to Rise and Rouse. I'm your host, Erin Alkid, social impact strategist and relationship builder. Today, we are joined by Sabrina Walker Hernandez, bestselling author and president and CEO of Supporting World Hope, a coaching and consulting service for nonprofits. Sabrina has over 25 years of experience in nonprofit management, fundraising, and leadership. She has facilitated numerous workshops with hundreds of nonprofit professionals and is a master trainer for the Boys and Girls Club of America. Sabrina believes that relationships are what drive successful fundraising and puts maintaining connections at the center of her work. Throughout our conversation, you'll hear all about how this approach has fueled Sabrina's career. You'll enjoy this one, and I can't wait to hear what you think. I am so excited to have Sabrina Walker-Hernandez from Supporting World Hope today on the Rise and Rouse podcast. We met through a nonprofit consultant group called Nonprofitist. I always like to give a shout out to Heather Yandow for creating that group because I've made so many amazing friends through that community and just feel feel so supported through that community. And I just can't wait to have this conversation today. So what I'll do is just I'll read a little bit from your bio, Sabrina, and then I'm going to hand it over to you to introduce yourself. Thank you. So Sabrina Walker-Hernandez is the president and CEO of Supporting World Hope. She has over 25 years of experience in nonprofit management, fundraising, and leadership. And one of her greatest successes is, is that she increased operation revenue from $750,000 to $2.5 million over an eight-year period as well as being responsible and planning for operations for a $12 million comprehensive capital campaign in the third poorest county in the United States. So I'll just, I'll stop there because like, those are just unbelievable credentials that you have there. (laughs) Um, And I'll let you just, you know, introduce yourself a little bit more. Well, you know, um, I have been in the nonprofit game for a long time. I say I grew up in it because my mom was a missionary in the church in the Pentecostal church, no less, right? And so if you needed to go to vacation Bible school and vacation Bible school needed snacks, then you were going to fundraise for your own snacks. Or if you needed like uh, church choir robes, you were going to fundraise for the church choir robes. So I've been fundraising for a very long time. I didn't know it was going to be my career, though. I literally thought that I was going to be a lawyer. Um, But when I went to college and I did this internship with this group called Advocacy Resource Center for Housing, it's called ARCH, and you mediate it between landlords and tenants. I did it because I wanted to work with attorneys and get that experience, that mediation experience, that kind of stuff. But then I realized they're a bunch of assholes and I didn't want to be one of them. I was like, oh, no, this is not. No, 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 no. But what I did fall in love with is I fell in love again with helping people and advocating for people. And that's the part that I fell in love with. And so I just it just changed the direction of my life. And I will tell you this grew up in the South. Um, again, Pentecostal uh, mom, missionary. And she would brag about her daughter going to law school because they knew what a lawyer was. But they had no idea when I said, you know, I'm not going to be a lawyer. I'm going to go to graduate school and I'm going to get a master's in public administration. These people ain't never heard of no graduate school (laughs) or master's. They were. My mom was like, I don't understand. 
I said, don't worry. It's the same. It's the same number of years. It's, it's the same. And then I spent 20 years after that in boys and girls clubs. So for 20 years, people ask her what I do. And she said, well, she plays with the kids. <laughs> like, I do a little bit more than play with the kids, mom. But hey, that's what I did. I played with the kids for 20 years. That's according to my mom. And she just she just didn't get it. But I think she gets it now in, in retrospect, you know, because she sees that it was my passion and it was my purpose, you know, so she's happy for me. But I thought it was just a little giggle, you know, the way it yeah. went. So I think a lot of people can relate to their parents not knowing what they do for work. <laughs> yeah. If it doesn't if it doesn't fall into some of those like neat and tidy categories, it is it does feel kind of baffling for people. It does. <laughs> it feels very baffling for her, but I do have to say I love and appreciate my mom. One of the things that I will say in this journey of executing excellence because that was like my motto, execute mm-hmm. excellence. Doesn't matter what you do, you need to execute excellence. And Having run a nonprofit for over 20 years and you read some of the stuff that was able to be accomplished, it did take its toll on me, you know, and I will say to my mom's credit, and I truly love her. In 2018, I was diagnosed with, uh, um, remember I said execute excellence, right? So Mm -hmm. I was diagnosed with not one blood cancer, but two, because I've always been special all of my life. (laughs) And then I remember getting the diagnosis, right? And they were saying, well, it's suggestive of lymphoma and multiple myeloma, but it's not going to be both because like only 1% of people, you know, get diagnosed with both of those. And so I'm sitting there and they're telling me, well, you're a part of that 1% and you got diagnosed with both. But it was my mom who came from North Carolina to Texas, to where I live, and was with me for almost a year and a half as I went through chemo. And so talk about service, service above self. That is exactly who I learned it from. And I think it was just eye-opening to see life come full circle, right? And to understand that we're here and our purpose is to help each other. And that's what I've embraced throughout this journey. I mean, it's, it rings just so clear that that is what you're embracing. It's funny. I was telling um, some friends yesterday that I was going to be talking to you and I'm like, oh, yeah. And I'm like explaining like your background and everything. And, and I'm like, yeah. And she has had two cancers. And then she decided to start her consulting business from her like hospital bed. And I was like, yeah, she's it's going to be a really cool interview. They're like, you can't like leave it there. I was like, oh, well, you'll have to listen to podcasts to learn more. Um, you know, I am, um, again, I like to be efficient with my time. Yeah. So as a part of this cancer journey, you know, I had to do it in 2019. I had to do a stem cell yeah. transplant. And yeah. as a part of the stem cell transplant, what they do is they take all of your stem cells out and they put new stem cells in. And some of us are lucky that we can, you know, they can harvest our own stem cells and put them back in. And some people have to get other people's stem cells. Well, I was able to get my own harvested and put back in. But what they're doing literally is stripping you of everything. Like, you know, all those shots you got when you were a kid, mm-hmm. all that, that's all gone. So it's like your new birthday. So you have to be isolated yeah. in the hospital for 30 days, 30 days. So as I was sitting there, I thought, you know, I don't want anybody else to have to go through what I went through because what it boiled down to is stress, 
right? And we know yeah. that it's stressful running a nonprofit organization. It is stressful, especially when you are responsible. So I was the CEO and it was a small nonprofit, what I consider to be small nonprofit. I didn't have a development team. I didn't have a marketing team. It was me, my board, and I had program staff because really that's where we put our focus, direct services to the kids. I've learned since then I need to get, people need to have support. But at the time that was not the situation. And so I thought as I was sitting there, I don't want anybody else to have to go through this. And I have all of this knowledge in my head. And one of those times during the, the chemo, my husband's like, I think you need to retire. And I was just tired of <laughs> arguing with him. So I was just like, fine, I'll retire. And I immediately regretted it. But when you're going through this journey and your spouse is there and they're beside you, you have to honor what you say. And so I was there like, okay, I got so much knowledge in my head. I don't want others to have to go through what I went through. What can I do? And that's when Supporting World Hope was born. I was like, that's mm -hmm. what I'm going to do. And I'm going to shout out my son-in-law who came up with the name Supporting World Hope. It's kind of clever. My name is Sabrina Walker Hernandez. <laughs> and he said, oh, I love Supporting that. World Hope because that's what you do. And it goes with your initials. So it was a family effort um, on that part of naming and just, and I would say on the part of my family on the part of my husband understanding that was something I needed to do. I couldn't yeah. just walk away and leave others, you know, floundering out there. Um, and that's the, that's been one of the goals of my, of my business. I started this um, online group called nonprofit professionals exchange because a lot of times the nonprofit startups, a lot of times this is what happens. Um, Somebody says, you're always helping people. You should start a nonprofit. And that's as much thought as people put in it. And they say, mm -hmm. I'm going to start a nonprofit. And then when they start that nonprofit, they think, well, I started it and I'm going to get some grants. And people are just going to help me now because, you know, they get a tax write-off and I'm, a, I'm legitimate. Well, what they mm -hmm. find out very, very, very soon is you're not grant ready. That's one. Grants ain't just going to come flying down from the sky. Two is not only are not grant ready, people don't know who you are beyond a certain circle and they're not just going to give you money. So you thought you set up this social media page. You're going to share a little, some little pictures of what you do. You're going to ask some people for money. And all of a sudden you're just going to, it's just going to be raining and they get a very yeah. shock that that's not what is happening. Part of the mission of my group is to make sure I nurture those people and share knowledge with those people and help them get over that initial shock that you started a business. And as such, you have to look at it as a business and your board members can't be your mother, your brother, your cousin, <laughs> because they ain't going to be into it like you are. And you need a village. You need a group of people that's going to, if you if you have this goal, you have to surround yourself with the people who can help you get to that goal. If you're in that situation right now, that group may just be for you. And it's nonprofit professionals exchange. It's one of my ways of giving back 
you know, to the nonprofit community, because the things that I provide in that group is really coaching, but I'm not charging for coaching. Um, but you're in a group setting. I have over like 6,000 people and I bring on other nonprofit professionals and we do interviews and we talk and we say, you know, we talk about, well, how do you do this and how do you do that? Now, if you want one-on-one, I do charge, but it's not as expensive mm-hmm. as others. Um, but that's my, again, it's purpose. It's all about giving back. And how are how are we going to support those who are trying to make change in the world? And, and I really appreciate it. I think it's my purpose in life. And mm-hmm. I'm very happy when I'm doing it. It also helps to create boundaries around your time, yes. you know, and things like that, too, because it's not, I, you know, I've I've been that person before where I mean, coming back to stress, like where I've burnt out mm-hmm. just trying to like to I serve at one point I was serving on three different boards and I that was right before the pandemic yeah. happened. I was like, I can't do this. Like, I can't serve. I, I like literally just could not yeah. could not do it all. So I had to quit everything. Um, and find that. which broke my heart. Yeah, it, it yeah. breaks your heart because you are a person who gives. But if you can't, if you're not giving to yourself, then you can't give out. You know, and so sometimes you just have to reset and say, okay, let's recalibrate and let's redo this. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think a lot of times mm-hmm. people who are in the the nonprofit world or who are natural givers, they feel guilty when they have to take care of themselves. Yeah. And it's okay to take care of yourself. It really is. And that's coming from me. I'm always doing something. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I like being, I used to say being busy, but I have a friend uh, who says, you're not being busy, you're being productive. So I like yeah. being productive. And sometimes my husband, he's probably my greatest advocate, but he's also my, he challenges me a lot, which I appreciate. And he's like, you're doing too much. And my sister says mm-hmm. that too, you know, and too much. And I'm like, just because y'all move at the turtle, you know, pace, that's what I do. Okay. I like moving in this pace, in this lane. And when I'm tired, mm-hmm. I'll stop. Like this past um, Sunday, let me tell you, I didn't get out of the bed. Mm-hmm. Some of those days you got to give it to yourself. You got to yeah. take those time. My husband's like, are you going to get up? I'm like, well, no, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> not in the cards for me today. And it, and it's okay to take the time for yourself. I think in the cancer journey, that was probably mm. the biggest thing that I learned, Erin, because I was so busy trying to execute excellence that I would literally get up and be at work sometimes, you know, at nine o'clock. And I would never say work. I would say I'm going to the club because I worked at Boys and Girls Club and I absolutely fell in love with the mission. But I would get there like at nine o'clock in the morning and sometimes I wouldn't leave to 10 o'clock at night. And that was a Mm. normal occurrence for me. Unfortunately, I created a culture in my organization that kind of follows suit on that because you're the leader. And as the leader, you're setting the tone. If I have to say anything, that's probably one of my biggest regrets that in my head, I, that it was a value that I had and I don't know why mm-hmm. I go to therapy about it later, but <laughs> you know how that is. I ain't unpacked that mm-hmm. yet, um, yeah. but it was a norm that I established in my organization 
and burnout is real. And when I left my organization, uh, my operations person took over um, as the CEO and she continued along that path and she literally burnt herself out within the first year. And so it's probably one of my greatest regrets. Yeah. So if I can say it's anything to anyone that's um, listening out there, if you're sitting in that seat, make sure you take care of yourself and make sure you take care of the people around you because they're trusting you. You're the leader. And especially mm-hmm. if they respect you. So they're watching and make sure that you're teaching them how to take care of themselves. And it starts with you taking care of you. So how do you do that now? Like for yourself, like how, how have you been able, since you're running your own business Mm -hmm. now, like there, I mean, you and I both know, like there is that propensity to continue that kind of grind, you know, but now that you've kind of been able to recognize it, like what's, what's shifted in how you work now? Well, it's funny that you asked that question because when (laughs) I first started out, I created this atmosphere of deadlines and I was like mm. hustling and do, doing all these things. And I'm going, if you don't do it, who's going <laughs> to say anything? Who's good? You know, mm-hmm. I had to stop myself because I was used to it. I really was mm-hmm. used to that hustle and bustle. And then I um, actually talk about a therapist. I did hire someone that I had to talk to to kind of unpack why I was creating that same atmosphere for myself mm-hmm. and to recognize what it was about me that was causing that. And so now I think, you know, there's a such thing as swinging the pendulum too far too. But I would tell you, there are some things that I put in place that helps me. One is if I like you, I'll meet with you before 9 a.m. So I must like you. Because <laughs> <laughs> usually I set my meetings they start at 11 a.m. The earliest mm. I'll go is 10 a.m. And then I will work, you know, and I try to use like time blocking so that I'm productive. I also try to just lean into the things that I like to do. And I I also try to be smart about repurposing a lot of content. And I have two virtual assistants. I'm very proud of Mm. I have two nice. so that I'm able to um, do more, but at the same time, not put that burden on myself. When, when we had the pandemic, I learned how to build a website. I learned how mm. to do the landing page. I set up the YouTube. I did it all right because we had time. Mm-hmm. There was no distraction. Yep. But as you start building and then you start getting clients and you start, you know, getting um, information put towards you, I had to learn to let some of those things go. Yeah, that's hard. It's that transition hard. is hard. It's very hard. <laughs> I'm still struggling with it because although I have two VAs, they keep saying, you know, we can do your social media posts for you. You don't have to do mm. them. And I'm like, Mm-mm. no, I'm still not there yet. <laughs> that's not yep. going to happen. So it's it's a struggle. Give yourself grace. One of the things that I've learned is from a friend of mine is give yourself grace. And she always adds, give yourself space. So it's grace Mm. and space. I am one of those people too, who like, I've, I don't try, I try very hard not to meet with folks before 10 AM. And that has been like really revolutionary for me to just give myself that space to like wake up and like 
and greet the day. Yeah. And I mean, I I also was one of those people who would work until, yeah, mm-hmm. like nine or 10 at night. Like I just would would grind mm-hmm. because I was like, I, if yeah, if nobody else is going to do it, like no one's going to do it for me right. besides me. Mm-hmm. Like I have to be the one to do it. And like put you, you put your pressure, that pressure on yourself. And it is probably similar in the work that you were doing with like the Boys yeah. and Girls Club or even the work in your the Facebook community and the work that you're consulting work. Nothing happens by itself. No. Nothing happens in a vacuum. No. We can't do it all. Like we know that from the application right? of our work, <laughs> right? It's so hard to internalize it. Though. Yeah, it's very hard. It's very hard, and we're all a work in progress. And I just say, give ourselves grace and space, and we'll and we'll see and, and try to work um, as smart as you can and not um, harder. Yeah, it really. I mean, I have two VAs as well, mm-hmm. and. Like shout out to Yana and Grace because they're both amazing (laughs) (laughs) and they do different things and they like keep be like organized and like moving forward. And and yeah, it's been it was like it was it was scary to like bring them in at first, you know, because it's like handing over anything feels feels overwhelming. Mm -hmm. But like building that trust is important. Yeah. And it's all about communication and effective communication. I still meet with my VAs, you know. And um, yeah. they're learning me. Well, not learning. They know me by now. One and I've been yeah. for a year. Um, another one is is relatively new relationship, but I found them. Shout out to Acadium. I don't know if you know mm. um, Acadium. No, but they are. Mm, here's for my um, <laughs> my consultants out there or coaches out there. So Acadium is a platform that you can go on. And for, I think it's like $400, you can get a apprenticeship with a marketing person for three months for a project. And nice. um, that's the cost. And they're trying to build their resume and gain their skills. So I met one of my VAs, Moses, through that. So I do these interviews called Sipping Tea with Sabrina. So he took those interviews mm-hmm. and repurposed them for a podcast. Um, I have been doing those interviews for the last two years. So I got two years of episodes, girls. Aaron, nice. I know, yeah. right? Yeah. That's <laughs> so cool. And uh, in exchange, I paid the $400 and I met with him um, once a week just to coach him along on his career. So I, I yeah, I love Acadium. Cool. If I can send you the link and anyone that's out there is A-C-A-D-I-U-M. And it, it yeah. helps us because, again, we're giving back. We're helping someone mm-hmm. that's starting out in their career. And in exchange, it's, it's, it's helping us. So I, I appreciate that platform. Ooh, I love that so much. Yeah. I would love to hear a little bit more about, like, the Boys and Girls Club and just, you know, what was – because you were there for, for years and years and years. Like, what kept you there? What was what was it about that work? You know, what what kept me at the Boys and Girls Club – Um, was really truly, you know, the mission. So Mm -hmm. to this day, that mission resonates with me. And here's why. I was one of those kids. And I knew that if I was able to create an environment where kids could really flourish, that it would change the direction of their lives. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to make sure that we created a club that provided hope and that provided opportunity. And so being one of those kids, I grew up in Rocky Mount, 
North Carolina part-time and then in Freeman, Virginia, um, the other times. And so my life and my world consisted of going back and forth every two years between those um, locations. But outside of that, that was it. And so um, there was a college, Wesleyan College, right there in my town, Rocky Mount, but I never visited the campus. I was never invited to visit the mm-hmm. campus. It was not an option. And I don't know why it was not an option. UNC Greenville was 30 minutes away from my house in Rocky Mount, and i never been to Greenville in my life. And so I wanted to make sure that those kids got to take advantage of the opportunities that were right there in their backyard and not only right there in their backyard, but also be able to go beyond their backyard and give them opportunity. And so, you know, sometimes we would take them to restaurants and that was the first time being in a restaurant or, you know, a nice restaurant. Mm. Well, it was multiple forks. I remember the first conference that I went to and there was like multiple choices on the forks. (laughs) (laughs) I'm waiting and watching everybody else going, okay, which one do I pick up, you know? Um, and I, I wanted to make sure that they got exposure to that. And so that was really the driving force for me is really why I fell in love with it. And also being able to offer them, again, those opportunities around education and those opportunities around having different experiences in their lives um, was a driving force for me. And I think that people can discredit those kids. And say, oh, those Mm. bad kids, oh, those at-risk kids. And so every day I got to get up and fight that stereotype and not only fight the stereotype, but also provide them with those opportunities. Mm. And doing that for 20 years was amazing because now the the kids that I worked with are 30 and... (laughs) plus 30 plus and um, they have kids and their kids go to the club. You know, I retired in 2018, mm. but my granddaughter goes to the same club that I worked in. And sometimes when I drop her off, I'll see, you know, the kids that I grew up, they were in the club and they're dropping off their kids. And so it's really amazing oh. um, to see that cycle and, and to know, and we're really good about trying to keep up with the kids so we can share the success Ooh. stories. Um, out there. And so I'm very proud that um, some of the kids that I work with are now engineers or, you know, they're dentists. Mm. Um, They are. And I would I would uh, tell them when they were in their teens, like, you know what, Um, you're going to be the next um, mayor. You're going to be the next this. So when I come and ask you for money, you're going to (laughs) give me money. Right. Because you, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, the benefit of the program. And I kept saying, I'm I'm just growing my next donor base. That's all I'm doing. (laughs) Yeah. That's like, what a great way to like, look at that. And just to like, to be doing like generational work, you know what I mean? And to be able to, and to be able to like, see it with your own eyes. It's a wonderful thing. And one of the things that I really liked is Boys and Girls Club. And we did programs for boys and girls, but I really like putting energy into girls because I realized as well that if you change a girl, you're changing a family. And if you change a family, you're changing a generation. Mm. And so that was that long-term big picture for me is what kept me going. Yeah. Do you have any 
like specific stories like that give that make you smile when you think about them? Well, one of my one of my kids, I always talk about it's, it's so many. I'll talk about uh, Joaquin. So Joaquin, when I first met him, he came. So where my um, organization was is along the Texas-Mexico border. Joaquin came in from Mexico. And when he came in, he was, I think he was a little older. He was maybe eighth grade, ninth grade, and he did not speak English, but he was sharp. And mm. he, the club was one of the places where he, in school, of course, and, and, you know, just the environment where he learned to speak English. And um, he competed in this competition we have, it's called Youth of the Year. And he got up in front of about 300 people and he delivered a speech in English Mm. and it was a resounding success. And not only that, he got to deliver that same speech at the state in the state Capitol, the state of Texas. And um, now he works for Dale and he's an engineer Mm. at Dale. Those are kind of like the stories that I love. And then there's star um, and that's her real name, Star. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Star, um, we used to have this event called Stake in Your Community. And she was just the cutest little thing, very outspoken, all of those things. Sometimes I'm like, what does this say? <laughs> you know, I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing. But she was our spokesperson for that event, probably from the time that she was like seven years old until the time that she was 18. And now Star is in law school, should have saw that coming. Uh, <laughs> God knows, I was like, what is she going to say? Um, but she's in law school. I think this might be her last year of law school. And um, she's going on with her life. And it's something that I take a little bit of credit for because we saw mm. that quality in her. And she had a stage, you know, every year she was the spokesperson for that campaign and the channel five would come out and they would record her and she would do the commercial and you saw her grow up in front of the camera. And it's a testament that she was with us for that whole amount of time. Sometimes in this journey of working with kids, kids, you will get them until, you know, they're five, six, seven, eight, nine, up until 12, because up until 12, your mama tells you you're going, whether you want to go or not you are going. Then there's something about going to middle school and high school where you get a choice. And sometimes after school programs, Boys and Girls Club, they're not cool. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. you're not going, right? And we understand that as they grow older, that you want them to get involved in school more. You want them to become, you know, drama, get in drama or band or cheer or whatever it is. And so they're not going to be there every day like they were when they were little but they still have Mm -hmm. that connection to the organization. And so if you're doing your job right, when they are in high school, you will not see them every day because again, you're trying to create, you're trying to create youth that are well-rounded. And so that mission really, that, that was my core and I, and I loved it. My friend Emerald has run like a program, like a weekend, like after school program, doing the work that she does. And she had me come in and speak to the kids mm-hmm. once. And they're mostly high schoolers. 
you know, a lot of them wanted to be there. Not everybody really mm-hmm. was like super jazzed about it. I came in on a Saturday. I just had, I spent like just a few hours with them. I had a freaking blast, mm-hmm. like honestly, like so much fun, even though some of them were like openly mocking me maybe yeah. like, <laughs> like at times. And I was just like, but I'm like, whatever. Um, but like one of them hugged me at the very end of the day. And I was just like, I can see how that feeling brings you back day after day after day. Yeah. Um, kids just need someone to see them. And um, yeah, you'll get a hug at the end of the day yeah. or you'll get a see you tomorrow, miss. You mm-hmm. know, because they expect you to be there. Um, yep. And so it's been it, it's a journey and it's a calling and um, you can you can get addicted to that feeling. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I definitely could get addicted to that feeling (laughs) like and I feel like you're doing some similar stuff then like you're kind of spreading a lot of that like good juju I guess like in yeah building relationships I built built relationships with the kids I built relationships with my board members I built relationships with my donors I think that relationships is the key to a lot of things in this work. You know, people say they struggle with board engagement and I push back a little bit. Well, how are you building a relationship with your board members? Mm-hmm. How are you, you know, are you meeting with them outside of the boardroom? Are you going to lunch? Are you picking up the phone and calling them? Are you sharing with them? Same thing when it comes with donors, you know, you can't meet people and expect them to give you money. You have to build a relationship with them. And then once they yeah. give you money, you have to continue that relationship and tell them, how did I spend the money, you know, mm-hmm. and and continue to learn about them because people value relationships. Kids value relationships. They want to know you're going to be there tomorrow and that you're not just, you know, here for for a summer or here for a brief time. The world works better. If we seek to build relationships with people and not only the world, but if you narrow it down to the nonprofit world, it works better if you build relationships across the board. I, people ask me often, how did you go from 750000 to $2.5 million? It was relationships. And I'm, it sounds simple, but it's the truth. Redesigning the relationship. I had with my board so they understood where we were going, changing the way I did my board meetings, bringing the kids into the boardroom. I would bring the kids into the boardroom and the first five minutes of the board meeting, it was a kid coming in and saying, this is my name. This is why I come here. This is why I need this program. And then the board would say, okay, well, what do you like about it? What don't you like about it? And if my board member was walking in Walmart or something like that, and one of the club kids saw them, they would be like, hey, sir, hey, miss. And then when my board member was at that chamber meeting or that rotary meeting, they would talk about that specific kid by name and they would share their story. So it's all about relationships. And if I could get people to understand that 60 percent of fundraising is building relationships 
and 15% of fundraising is maintaining those relationships, it will be a game changer because people yeah. think of fundraising and they immediately go to asking for money. And that's only mm-hmm. 5% of fundraising. 75% yep. of fundraising is relationships, building them and maintaining them. And that's how oh. you go from $750,000 to $1.5 <laughs> It's relationships, whether it's a grant or not. Somebody at the end of that who is deciding to send you that check is a person. And you build a relationship mm-hmm. with that person. I think about like how transactional so much of our world is and and has become mm-hmm. and even in social media and things like that i feel like it's so transactional it's like you trade content for likes really right. like there's not a lot of relationship building that happens mm-hmm. there which is like why i i love that you're you have that facebook community yeah. because people can build relationships yes. amongst them each other with you mm-hmm. with the people you bring in and like I remember a very long time ago, somebody asked me like what the future was, looked like. Mm-hmm. And at that time I was doing like work in food systems and they were like, what do you see is like going to happen in the future? I'm like, we're going to start to shift and be more collaborative in nature, mm-hmm. which is like at the root of relationships too. Like you can't have good collaboration without good, strong relationships at the core and trust built and things like that. And, and I think that that's, it's what I hear kind of like in a lot of like what you're saying mm-hmm. too, is just like, if we could just start to shift the way in which we approach these kinds of things to be more relational and not transactional, there's a lot of possibility yes, in that. A lot of possibility. And you just hit on something. That was another growth um, opportunity for us to get to that amount was collaboration um, yeah. and partnership. I have for so long tried to get those federal grants as mm-hmm. as my organization. And I realized that to get those $800,000 million grants, I needed to go into collaborations. Mm-hmm. And so who I collaborated with became very important. Actually, um, myself and another local Boys and Girls Club, we formed a collaboration, unique opportunity. Maybe someone can steal this idea. Mm-hmm. But um, we hired a resource development person and shared that resource development person. Um, They came on my payroll because my benefits were better. And Mm -hmm. then the other organization (laughs) reimbursed half of their salary, but she wrote for both of us. And what evolved from that was she didn't write separate grants, but she wrote collaborative grants. We Mm. started getting, you know, the 800,000, the million dollar, you know, grants because we were um, collaborating. And that's what, that's what, you know, state grants, federal grants, foundation. That's what they want to see. Yep. They want to see that collaboration. And that's yeah. relationships. You can't go in a relationship with everybody. No, no. <laughs> people that you build that trust and mutual respect and all of that, then that's where you start to realize, oh, okay, we can do this. We can grow together. And, and that was mm-hmm. a game changer for our organization as well. Where do you draw the line of with people you wouldn't want to collaborate with? <laughs> what do I draw the line? Well, <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna tell you how I did it. Now, we, <laughs> we 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 partnered together on something small, and for me, if you were not a planner, <laughs> that's strike one. Mm-hmm. And then strike two was if I had a deadline, and you didn't respond to that deadline, now you're making us look bad. Mm-hmm. That that's you know that's strike two. And and then the, the the third strike was 
when you start playing with my money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can't produce receipts. Um, you, yeah. Yeah. Then I can't partner with you. Yeah. Anymore. I give everybody a chance. And, and after that, yeah, I can't do it. Because at the end of the day, especially if you're the partner, you're the fiscal agent. It is your yeah. reputation on the line, not theirs. Those are words of wisdom <laughs> to live by, for sure. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, oh my goodness, I'm. We're gonna like just start to shift us towards wrapping up for you. Like, what does it mean to give a damn in your life, huh. in your work? Well, what does it mean to give a damn in my life and in my work? Well, giving a damn really means if you're invested in people to make sure that you show up as your authentic self. And if being your authentic self jives for them, then you have you build that relationship. And then if it doesn't, yeah. it's okay. You're not meant for everyone. They will find their their person <laughs> or, or the, the you know the situation that resonates with them. But show up as your authentic self. Mm. And that really is what it means for me. Um, to, to, you know, give a damn, whatever that is, show up as mm-hmm. authentic self and people, you know, people give out energies and some energies match and some energies don't. Yeah, that's so true. Mm-hmm. I think about some of the like, I mean, I just got a rejection from a proposal I sent today. Well, clearly, <laughs> clearly my energy was not jiving with theirs. Uh, and it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. No, it's like, there's like smidge of bitterness on my part. Yeah. No, but like, but... <laughs> But but in reality, though, it's like, yeah, the people that I've like been able to do the most beautiful work with mm-hmm. have been the ones where where we were able to like really deepen that relationship and tr- and build the trust. And and yeah, where our energy like connects to and like aligns with one another yeah. because it doesn't. Yeah, there there are definitely sometimes where there's people who are like on a totally different wavelength and maybe we'll maybe our wavelengths will meet up at some point. But not right. <laughs> but sometimes it's not at that moment. Nope. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Sabrina, this has been like absolutely amazing. Thank you so, so much for taking the time to speak with me today. This is it's just you are absolutely brilliant and and vivacious, I want to (laughs) say. like Just such a great energy. Thank you so very much. I enjoyed talking to you as well, Erin. I knew we were at least on the same wavelength when we Mm -hmm. first talked. So I like your energy and um, continue to be your authentic self as well. Rise and Rouse is created and hosted by me, Erin Allgood. It is produced and edited by Steph George of Stefania Audio. Production support from Grace Cleary-Morin and Yana Krasanova. Our theme music is written and produced by Chris Marion. If you enjoyed this conversation, please leave a five-star rating and review to help us reach more people. Make sure to follow Rise and Rouse wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss your chance to hear from someone who gives a damn. Follow us on Instagram at Rise and Rouse and sign up for my newsletter by going to allgoodstrategies.com.